Thanks, guys. Shout to the Lord, you know. In the uh, pre-service production meeting, Nick said, man, shout to the Lord. That song reminds me of Bill Clinton, which I thought was kind of funny. Welcome. My name is Vince Pieri. I am a pastoral fellow here at High Point, which is a kind of goofy sounding title that basically means I'm like a pastor in training. So I finished seminary about a year ago and started working at High Point right after that. Right now, my responsibilities include overseeing the worship ministry. I'm also teaching a class for some of the 20-somethings. I meet one-on-one with some men in the church and do some other odds and ends, and sometimes I preach. So here I am, preaching. Yeah, thanks, Fran. The, uh, the one other thing I wanted to say, because some people haven't asked me about this, and I want to just get it out there so it's not a distraction for anyone, is that a lot of you have been thinking that I am leaving High Point and uh, moving to Chicago to work for a church there. And the reason you think that is because I told you that I was leaving High Point and moving to Chicago to work for a church there. So that is actually no longer the case for a long story that is too long to tell now, but everything worked out really well and I still have a great relationship with that church and it just became really evident um, that that's not what God was doing right now. So I am staying at High Point uh, for the time being, indefinitely. Thank you guys for clapping, that makes me feel great. I'm not exactly sure what my role is going to be because when I told High Point that I was leaving, they hired someone to replace me, which is a totally logical, rational thing to do. So I might do another year in some kind of fellowship position, or I might do, I might like work here part-time, then work outside the church. I might just volunteer here and work somewhere in the community, but I really feel like this is where God wants me to be right now and to be part of what God is doing at High Point. So there you go. Now you know. Ready for the sermon? Okay, so we've been doing this series called The Art of Normal, and the whole idea of this series is that we don't go from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop in our lives. We don't go from success to success and high to high. Most of our lives are spent doing the daily things, the daily grind, waking up in the morning, brushing your teeth, putting on your pants, going to work, Dealing with a cranky spouse, dealing with your crazy kids, going to sleep, waking up, doing it again the next day. And it's easy to feel like, what is the point of all this? And it feels mundane and routine. And this series is all about how God wants to breathe life and meaning and purpose into those daily things of life that will allow us to honor him in them and glorify him in them and find joy in them and point people to God through them. We did one on we did one sermon on marriage, we did one on parenting, we did one on work. Those are all online. I would really encourage you to go and watch them and catch up because they were really powerful. Today we are going to be talking about friendship. The daily thing of friendship. This one is close to my heart because I am turning 30 in a couple months and I am still single, although I do have a girlfriend right now. Bam. <laughs> Got myself a girlfriend. But through my, through my 20s, I've been single, so not married, no kids. And I have learned, and it has been a process of how important it is for me to have close friendships, to stay emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy and to build a community around me that's going to keep me 
whole and doing well. And as I've learned the power of having close friendships, I've also realized that it's something we all need. Even if you are married and have kids or kids grown, you have grandkids, we all need these close friendships. And sometimes I sit down with married people and they're dealing with whatever they're dealing with. And I'm like, your problem is that your spouse is your only friend. That is not how we are designed. We are designed to have close and meaningful relationships with the people around us, especially the people here in church that are brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a lot about friendship I'm not going to say today because Luke Zika, one of the interns here, preached an incredible sermon about friendship four months ago in December. I would encourage you to go watch that. I don't want to just say all the same things again. So there might be some things I don't say that you want to hear me say. Today, I'm really just going to make one point, and that's this, that we are called to deeply love our friends. That sentence is going to live on the screen for the rest of the morning because I want you to remember it and I want you to internalize it and I want, to take, I want you to take it to heart. And when I talk about deeply loving your friends, I'm talking about loving your friends in that emotional, mushy-gushy, affectionate way. Love is an action. And it's a discipline, right? And we talk about that a lot. Look, it doesn't matter how you feel. You need to love people. And that's true. That's definitely true. But love is also something that happens in our hearts. It happens on the level of affection. This is a verse to just kind of get us started. This is not the main passage we're going to be looking at. But this is one verse that talks about the idea of love being also something that has to happen on a level of affection. This is from 1 Peter and... It says this, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. That's what we're going to be talking about. How do we cultivate that love for one another from the heart? And what is that supposed to look like? The Apostle Paul talks about the same idea when he says, hey, look, you can give away all of your stuff. You can give all your money away to poor people and people in need and still not love them. And that means that love is not just an action. It's also something that has to be cultivated inside us. And if we are loving in our actions but not in our hearts, Paul says we're like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And we don't want to be a church full of noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. We want to be a church that is emotionally warm to each other. This is especially important, I think, for High Point. Because in the spectrum of churches, we are more on the left-brained side of things. You guys know what I'm talking about? We have a lot of epic people, very smart. We have a lot of business owners. We have a lot of task-oriented and rational and intellectual and focused, disciplined people. Those are all good things and part of what it means to be made in the image of God, that he has designed us to be that way. But that also means we have to fight harder to make sure we are staying relationally and emotionally whole and connecting with each other on that deeper level. Everything I'm going to say today is going to be impossible if you do not understand that this all comes from obeying the truth which allows us to have sincere love for each other. And what that means is that you're only going to be able to love people as deeply as you believe that God loves you. 
Because of what Jesus did for us, we now can be confident that God cares about us and he loves us and we can receive that love on a daily basis. So a lot of the stuff I'm going to be talking about, if you are not receiving that from God and you're not believing that, this is going to sound very stressful and very overwhelming. And I'm hoping that it might even encourage you to examine your own relationship with God and say, where am I at with receiving the love of God? Because that's what empowers us and motivates us and inspires us to be able to have this deep love for one another. Before we start, I want you to pull out a piece of paper or take out your phone or have something you can write on right now, because I want you to write down the names of three to four to five people that you would consider to be your close friends. Serious, everybody do it. Come on, come on. You're like, well, I can just think them in my head. No, I want you to write them down so you can see them. And so that there's going to be a few times in the sermon, I ask you to look down and kind of think through how this is going with the people in your life. You cannot write down your spouse. You cannot write down your kids. You cannot write down your grandparents or your siblings or any of those people. Not because those people are less important and your spouse should be your best friend, but we already did a sermon on marriage. So you can watch that and find out how to be a good spouse. But this is going to be about friendship. They do not all have to be super close to you, but just the three to five people that you'd say, yeah, these are kind of the people that are close to me. Take a minute to do that. All right. For the rest of the morning, we're going to be talking about how deeply we need to love people. And to know how deeply we need to love people and what that should look like, we're going to look at the example of the way Paul loved a church in Thessalonica. It is one of the most emotional, touchy-feely passages in the New Testament, and I'm very excited to preach it. You would expect that from the music guy, you know what I mean? But... Uh, so you can turn there if you want. It's page 1796. And we're going to see that there's four manifestation of, manifestations of how deeply we are to love people. Before we look through the passage, though, we've got to talk about the fact that this is crazy that Paul was able to love people this way. Here's the deal with Paul. If there is anyone that I expect would be relationally challenged, it would be Paul. Let's remember his story really quick. This is the guy who was the head of, not the head, but one of the top leaders in the Jewish religious party. He's at the top of his career. He's got everything going for him. He decides to follow Jesus. And does his life get better? No, it gets terribly, horribly worse. He loses his career because he's no longer Jewish. He becomes a Christian. So he gets thrown out from that party that he would have left anyways. But he is now an outcast from the people that were formerly his friends. And then they all tried to kill him. We forget that when we go through Acts and we hear all these stories about the Jews trying to kill Paul. Those are his people. Those are the people that were formerly his social group. They're now trying to kill him. When we talk about betrayal, that's, that would be hard to recover from that and still feel like you could trust people. And then he's going through his life and he's now a traveling preacher and apostle for Jesus. And everywhere he goes, he's dealing with all the stress of travel that we deal with with travel, except just on a much worse level. So, you know, we get like really stressed if the flight gets delayed a few hours. Paul's like, my ship went down. You know what I'm saying? He gets shipwrecked. He's hanging on to the piece of board from the boat going, okay, what next? 
That's how his life is all the time. He shows up in a town, he preaches the gospel for, for a few weeks, then people try to kill him, then he has to go to the next town. Can you imagine, like, if you went to Milwaukee and you're like, hey, uh, I just got here from Madison. They're like, oh, why'd you leave Madison? And you're like, well, all my old friends were trying to kill me. You'd be like, oh, and then you're like, do you want to get coffee or, like, hang out or be friends? No, you'd be, be traumatic, you know what I'm saying? This is the guy that we're following. Short, before the letter that we're going to read, he was uh, stoned. And I don't mean the stress got to him when he decided to, you know, take the edge off. He shows up in a city, he preaches the gospel, the Jews get mad, and he doesn't make it out in time. And they throw rocks at him until he's laying on the ground in a bloody pulp. God spares him, he lives, he wakes up, goes to the next city, gets thrown in jail, gets out of jail, and then finally gets to this town of Thessalonica. He preaches the gospel for literally like three or four weeks. He is not there a long time. People try to kill him. He leaves again. He leaves behind Silas and Timothy, his two uh, friends who are preaching the gospel with him. They stay a few more weeks. Then they come and meet up with Paul and they give Paul a report on how the Thessalonians are doing. And it is after hearing that report that Paul writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians to these people that he's known for just a couple months. If I were Paul, I would think that I'd be like stuttering and, you know, barely able to put sentences together and not trusting anyone, not being able to relationally bond with anyone. But we see it's just the opposite. As we go through this passage, we're going to see that there's four manifestations of what it looks like to deeply love people that Paul demonstrates. The first one is this, that we're called to love deep enough to actually care for them, deep enough to actually care for our friends. Look what Paul, look how Paul describes his relationship with the Thessalonians. He says this, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. This is war-torn, scarred body, PTSD Paul. He says, and this is talking to people he's just known a couple weeks. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Now, if you're here today and you're a mom and you've been a nursing mother, you're like, that's pretty impressive. The rest of us, though, we're like, okay, well, what does that really mean? I uh, reached out to my sister and I was like, hey, you've got two kids, one of them still nursing. Help me understand what life is like as a nursing mother. And I was blown away. There was just a lot of things I didn't even know. Newborns nurse four to seven hours a day. That means more than, well not more, but almost half of a mom's waking hours are spent nourishing the life of this other human being. There's no schedule, there's no routine, there's no breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Everything is about this other person. When you wake up, is decided by them. When you go to sleep, is decided by them. What you wear, where you go, how far you can travel. Everything is about the good of this other person. And Paul says, that's the way I cared for you. That means there's no small group. There's no weekly Bible study. There's no accountability time. There's no whatever. All those things are good things. But I'm saying Paul's head, when he thought about the people that he was loving and he was caring for, it was not compartmentalized. It was not just this one thing. It was, what can I do to care for the people that God has put into my life? We shoot way too low with this. 
We pat ourselves on the back if we just like remember someone's prayer request. Like if someone asks for prayer, something that's no longer about their job or whatever, and then the next week we come back and we're like, oh, I didn't pray for them. But you do remember they asked for prayer, and then you're like, hey, how's that job thing going? And they're like, yeah, it's going okay. And then you're like, okay, cool. And then you're like patting yourself on the back. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm such a good friend. I'm so glad that I remembered their thing. Paul's like, what are you talking about? You are called to care for each other like a nursing mother cares for her child. Here's how you know if you're succeeding in this. Here's how you know if you are actually loving people deep enough to care for them. If you, in the last month, if one of your friends hasn't reached out to you and said, hey, can we talk through this thing? Hey, I need some advice. Hey, I need some wisdom. Hey, can you hear me out on this thing? Hey, I'm struggling with this thing. If no one has reached out to you in the last month, it's not because all of your friends have perfect lives. It's because you have not built a relationship deep enough that they feel comfortable coming to you with what's going on in their lives. When we start to deeply love each other, to become deeply invested in each other, we find that we start to lean on each other like this, that we come to each other for care. That's what, call is, that's what Paul is calling us to, that we would develop those relationships to the point that we start genuinely leaning on each other. Look down at your paper. Look down at those names. When was the last time you had a open and honest and deep and meaningful conversation with them? For some of you, that's a big step. And you're like, I don't even know how to start that. I've, I've never had that kind of conversation with someone. I've always just kind of had surface level friends. It's easy. It's not hard. You can start out just by spending time with someone and just ask them questions with the word feel in it. Say, hey, how are you feeling about work lately? How are you feeling about your marriage? How are you feeling about what's going on at church? How do you feel about any of these things? And people will respond to that and they'll be excited to be vulnerable and they'll be excited to share if you take the time to ask them those questions. We have to love each other deep enough that we start genuinely caring for each other. All right, so that's the first manifestation. Second manifestation of what it looks like to deeply love our friends is that we would love them deep enough to enjoy sharing life with them. We always talk about vulnerability and really opening up to each other. And there's this first part where it's painful. And once you get past the painful part, you actually start to enjoy it. And what we're going to see is that Paul was able to do that very quickly. Look what he says. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. It wasn't like as he's being, as Paul's being the nursing mom, he's like, I cannot wait to be done with this. I cannot wait to get out of here and leave these Thessalonians alone. No, he says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul enjoyed sharing who he was and being with these people that he had just barely met. And you know this is important. And as pastors and church leaders all around the country, we know this is important. That's one of the large reasons over the last 50 years we've been, churches have been instilling small groups into their kind of structure of the way they do ministry. Because we say, hey, people need to actually share their lives together. So we're like, okay, go to small group. And then we hope that it'll just kind of happen. But as you know, a lot of times it does not happen. 
A lot of times you get to small group and you spend that first 15 minutes just making awkward small talk and you're like, I cannot wait to be done with this part and at least get in the circle where we're doing something structured and I don't have to just kind of like chat with people. But then you get in the circle and it's like not that much better because you're talking about the sermon and you're like, I am pretty sure I understood what the sermon was about, but I am not quite sure enough that I can make some really intelligent comment about it. So you kind of sit there and you just like nod your head and throw your brow and you're like, yeah, totally, totally. That's good. That's really good. And then it gets to the prayer time, and this is when you're supposed to be vulnerable. This is the time when you're supposed to share. So they're like, okay, what can I pray for you for? And you're like, okay, how can I ask for prayer for something that's just vulnerable enough that people won't, like, call me out and be like, okay, what's really going on in your life? But not actually vulnerable enough that people will actually know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? So you say something like, yeah, work's been really stressful, or my kids have been really difficult, and then people are like, okay, yeah, we'll pray for that. We'll pray for that. And you're like, yes, got out of that one. And then you pray, and you're sitting there thinking, okay, I didn't pray out loud last week. I could probably get away with not praying out loud again this week. And then maybe next week, I'll, I'll bite the bullet and just do it. And then you get in the car, and you go home, and you're like, I never want to go back to small group again. But you got to keep going back. Now, that's not the way everyone's small group experiences. Some, some of you love small group, but I guarantee you every small group in this church has someone who experiences that when they go to small group. In your small group, there is someone that that's how they feel about small group. That is not the end goal. It is not just enough to go to small group. The end goal is that we would delight in sharing our lives together. That means you show up a small group and you're like, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm doubting. Here's where I need help. And you just spill it and then let people meet you in that moment. That's what it looks like to delight in sharing your life with people. And that when people come to you and say, hey, here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm feeling. You sit in that with them and you talk them through it and you enter into that space with them. Now, for some of you, that's very scary because you have been hurt in the past by people that you opened up to. And I understand that. But look, you can't stop. You can't stop. This is what we're called to. We're called to delight in sharing our lives with one another. And Paul, he did not know if he could trust these people. He had no idea. In fact, in this very letter, a little bit later on, I'm going to show you a verse because he gets this news back from Silas and Timothy about how the Thessalonians are feeling about him. And he finds out that they actually still like him. And it's news to him. Here's what he says. Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged. He's like, oh my goodness, you guys actually still like us. You have fond memories of us. You want to stay friends with us and you're still following Jesus. Paul didn't know during those two weeks whether these people were going to be trustworthy or not. But it didn't matter. He said, I'm going to delight in sharing my life with these people for as long as I'm there, for whatever it's worth. There's a prayer meeting that meets in my apartment on Monday nights. We had like 10 or 11 people there last Monday, and we had a girl show up. It was her first time ever at the prayer meeting, and she didn't know. I think she knew one person there. And I'm also pretty sure sharing her life in a small group was something that was new for her because when we asked for prayer requests. She said, 
I don't really know what a prayer request is or like how to, how to do that, but here's what's going on in my life. And then she just poured her heart out and spilled her guts for like 10 minutes. It was crying and we all were praying for her and encouraging her and hugging her and she walked out smiling. I mean, she's still working through things, but she, in that moment, learned what it looked like to delight in sharing her life, her life with people. That's someone who's new, new to the church thing. If they can do it, far be it from us that we can't admit our struggles and our shortcomings. We who have been bonded in Christ, who are brothers and sisters in Christ, who know that there is grace given by God for everything, who know that we have nothing to be ashamed of. If we can't share what's going on in our lives, then what are we doing? Look down at your paper again. How many of those people actually know what is going on in your life right now? How many of them know what you are feeling? How many of them know where you are hurting? How many of them know what's going well? How many of those people do you regularly share your life with? Because that is what we are called to. We are called to love people deep enough that we actually enjoy sharing life with them. How are we doing? You guys still with me? Okay, we're like halfway through. Next one. Two manifestations. We got to love people deep enough to actually care for them. We got to love them deep enough to enjoy sharing life with them. And we need to love them deep enough to make friendship an actual priority. It's easy to say, okay, look, Paul was so good at loving people. He was so good at spending time with them. He was so good at being vulnerable because that's all he had to do. He was their apostle guy. He was their pastor. He was their missionary. If that was my job, if that was my life, I would be able to do this. Look, I'm busy. And look, I get that. You are busy. You're very busy. Pastors are also busy. This is something I'm finding interesting is that I'm finding people sometimes think that people in ministry like sit in their offices and just like read devotional books and pray all day long. That is not what we do, but pastors are just as guilty that we think a lot of the people in the work world, uh, you know, work their 50 hours a week and then they go home and watch Netflix for the rest of the night. And that's not what you guys do either. Look, we're all busy. We're all busy. But here's the thing. Paul was also busy. He was not just spending time with people. Here's what he says. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. He says we worked night and day, not doing ministry, not spending time with them, but in order to not be a burden, meaning we were making money so that we could support ourselves so that we would not have to freeload off of you for the few weeks that we were with you. Paul was working all the time, and he still made people a priority. In fact, he thought about this completely backwards from the way that we do. Because we think, okay, you know, family is my priority, number one, and then work is number two, and then if I can squeeze friendships in, I will. Paul thought about it totally the opposite. Relationships, friendships were the priority, and work was something that he did so that, because he thought that would be the best way to be in community with people. That would help him to be in community with people. And I know there's seasons where this is hard. There's seasons where, you know, you're literally working all day, every day, and you're not going to be able to make it to small group and all those things. But even in those seasons, you can send a text message, you can pray for someone, you can ask someone what to pray for them. You can stay engaged in the lives of the people that you want to hold on to as friends. When you tell people, you know, 
I love you, but I've just been so busy. No one believes you because we make time for the things that we love. And if we can't make time for one another, then we need to ask, do I deeply love the people in my life? Have I deeply invested in them because they need to be a priority? Look down at your paper one more time. Have you spent time with these people? Do they feel like they are a priority in your life? Maybe some of them are live out of town and you can reach out to them. You can give them a phone call. I was convicted by this because I did this for myself when I was preparing the sermon. I wrote down uh, some names and there were a couple of them that I were like, yeah, these are like my best friends. And I was like, when did I talk to them last? Like months ago. Some of them are out of town and I just haven't prioritized it. So this is something that I need to work through also. Okay, lastly, and this is maybe the most difficult and maybe the most controversial one, but I'm going to go to the mat on this because I think it is so important, and this is exactly what Paul demonstrates for us, is that we are called to love deep enough to get emotionally attached. It's almost like a dirty word. Because we are so all about being emotionally independent, and we read books like boundaries that are all about, you know, how to stay emotionally healthy and not be codependent. And all those things are good things. But we can take it so quickly too far to the point that we never resonate with the people around us, that we do not feel the pain they feel, that we do not suffer with them. Look how Paul describes how he felt when he left Thessalonica. Here's what he says. He says, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Paul says, we were orphaned. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul feels like he lost a child. That's not what it means to be orphaned. A parent can't be orphaned. Only a child can be orphaned by losing their parents. That's what that word means. So Paul is saying, When we left Thessalonica, we felt like we were losing relationships that were so dear to us that it was like losing our parents. That's crazy. Can you imagine if some like traveling pastor came to High Point and stayed with us for like two or three weeks and kind of bounced around from house to house and then when he left, he was like, I feel like an orphan. We'd be like, what's wrong with you? Feel so like needy or something. But this is Paul saying, I have let myself become so attached to you that I feel like an orphan in person, but not in thought, meaning they are still on his mind. And he is filled with such an intense longing to see them that he's going to try as hard as he can to make every effort to be back with the Thessalonians. When was the last time you missed somebody? When was the last time you looked forward to seeing someone? Or when someone moved away, you were actually sad to see them go. I think for so many of us, we have just built up walls and said, look, I'm not going to feel anything. I'm going to let these relationships be, you know, just what they are, but I'm not going to let myself actually deeply emotionally care about the people that God has put into my life. We are called to feel what the people around us are feeling. This is especially true on a spiritual level. So much of what Paul was attached to in them was how they were doing in their walks with the Lord. This whole time that he's been away, 
he hasn't been sure whether or not they've even continued to follow Jesus. And when he finds out that they are still walking with Jesus from Silas and Timothy, here's what he says. He says, now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul is saying, I was half awake and half asleep. I was half dead and half alive. I was like a zombie because I was so concerned with whether or not you were going to be faithful and continue to follow Jesus. That is the same way that we are supposed to think and feel about each other. That we are so consumed with each other's spiritual well-being that it's, it actually affects how we feel about our own lives. And some of you have felt this before, that you, are, you, know, you have a kid who's walked away from Jesus and you so badly want them to come back. Or you, know, you have a friend who's struggling. That's how, that's right. If you've felt that before, that is right. That is what we are called to do. And that means we need to actually get close enough that we start to resonate with those things. For so many of us, Emotional attachment is the biggest thing missing in our lives, and we don't even notice. So much of the addiction and the struggle and the sin and the anxiety and the depression and all those things that we face are because we have not let ourselves become emotionally bonded with the people around us. In seminary, uh, for like a year and a half, I worked or studied all day, every single day for like a year and a half. And I didn't even notice that it was unhealthy. Because that's how it works. We don't even notice that we're not bonding with people until things start going wrong. And then, you know, a few months later, I'm in counseling because things are going wrong. And I'm like, what's going wrong? And they're like, do you have any people that you're close to that you're sharing life with? And I'm like, uh, not right now, actually. And they're like, well, that's probably what's going wrong. So often when you go to counseling, that's like, that's like all they tell you. They're like, you need to, you need to have friends that you're close with, that you can share life with, that you are doing things with and being close to. And that's very biblical. If you look in the New Testament, there's 59 one another passages. Love one another, care for one another, honor one another, encourage one another, bear each other's burdens. And we look at that whole list and we're like, okay, well, Maybe God will just make up the difference because I haven't actually done that for people or let people do that for me. Or maybe my spouse can just make up the difference and it doesn't work. That's not how God has designed us. He has designed us to become emotionally attached to each other so that we can lift each other up and encourage one another and walk through this together. It's easy to say, look, that's Paul. He's more spiritual than me. He's more holy than me. But this is what he calls everyone to do. Later on, at the end of the letter, he says this, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. This is what we are all called to. You are never going to be criticized for being too loving of a person. No one will ever call you out on that. High Point is never going to be criticized for being too loving of a church. This is always something that we are called to be continually growing and continually fostering, continuing to increase in our lives and overflow in our lives is the love that we have for each other. Look down at your paper one more time. When you think about this, where, where is God maybe calling you to bolster up or to work at or to think about with the people in your life? Do you deeply love the people that you wrote down? Do you deeply love them enough to the point that you actually 
care for them, that you actually administer care to them? Do you deeply love them enough to the point that you enjoy being vulnerable with them, that you fought through that barrier until you're close enough that you can really share? Do you love them deep enough to make your friendship a priority, even when you're busy? Do you love them deep enough that you are emotionally attached to them, that they're on your mind, that you're not praying for them just because you're trying to be disciplined in prayer, but because you're thinking about them and how they are doing? This is what we are called to as Christians. Here's why this is especially important right now at this season at High Point. Because we are praying for God to move. We're asking God to move and not in some kind of crazy way where everyone, you know, starts falling on the ground or jumping around in worship or miracles are happening. We are praying for God to move that many people outside of this church would come and find a relationship with Jesus. And that might be you today that you're here looking for that right now. We're praying that a lot of people who are broken and looking for truth and looking for answers would find a relationship with Jesus and that we could provide a home for them to live out those first steps of their faith. And if God should choose to do that, this is going to be all that matters. They're not going to care how much we know. They're not going to care how disciplined we are. They're probably not going to care how much theology we know. The thing they're going to care about is, do these people love each other? And are they going to have the time and energy to really love me? They might not know that question in the way that to be able to say it verbally, but that is what is going to actually be going on inside them. Can I trust these people? And I think that this is one of the things that has to happen for God to allow High Point to be used that way, that we need to grow in our love for one another, that we have an overflow of love that can welcome in people from outside the church. We've got a class going on right now, right now actually during this service of 20-somethings. There's like 40 or 50 of them who are seeking to be used to lead people to Jesus. That's what the whole class is about. How can we be used to bring people to Christ? Lloyd is working on how to um, re-envision some of the small groups things so that small groups can be an entrance point for people who are far from God. This is something that we're asking God to do, but we need to be able to love each other so that we can love the people that God brings to us. I'm going to invite the band back up. This is, uh, this is hard, I understand. It sounds tiring, it sounds exhausting, but it is really the natural overflow of what happens when we start to believe that God loves us. Paul was able to live this way because he deeply believed that God loved him as a person. In Philippians, he writes that he longs for the Philippians with the affections of Christ. And he says he longs to go be with Jesus because that'll be better by far. Paul was deeply aware that God loved him and not just in a, I have to love you because I'm God, but that God had genuine love for him. And for all of us, we are not going to be able to love deeper than we believe God loves us. And I think because sometimes we're so duty and disciplined and truth-oriented that we forget that God actually has emotions. 
He actually has love inside him. If God says, I am love, I don't think that he can be love without feeling love. He says that the cross was a demonstration of his love. That means what Jesus did isn't even the totality of God's love. It means that God was in heaven and he was looking down on sinful, miserable, broken, stupid, selfish people. And he was filled with love for us and said, I'm going to demonstrate what is in my heart for these people and provide a way for them to be saved out of what is going on inside me. Micah 7 says that God delights in showing mercy. You know what that means? That means that God likes saving people. God loves saving people. God loved saving you, and he loves loving you. He enjoys loving us. And the love that we pour out is just an expression of what is actually going on inside of God for us. I know that's hard to believe because a lot of you have been walking the Christian walk a long time, and you're like, I'm still not done. I'm still not perfect. I've still got issues. I've still got struggles. And you're like, God, how is it that you could possibly still love me even now when I should be so much better? And God's like, come on. I loved you when you hated me. I loved you when you were rebelling against me. I loved you when you wanted nothing to do with me. While you were still sinners, I sent my son to die for you because I am filled with love for you. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that we follow. That's the God that we sing to. So we're gonna sing this song now to close and it's called Good, Good Father. And it is a very touchy-feely song. There's a line in there about the love of God being like the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. That's like almost a questionable lyric. But the chorus of the song says, you're a good, good father. It's who you are and I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who we are. We are who God says we are, and God says, I love you, I am for you, I am with you, I care about you, I want to know you, I want to have a relationship with you. That's why God is called a father in the Bible, that's why he calls himself a father. So let's stand up, I wanna pray, and then we're gonna sing this song. God, without your love, we've got nothing. God, you say that the world will know that we are Christians by the love that we have for one another. And we know that love comes from you. And so God, I ask right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would administer your love into our hearts. That you would pour it out into us, that we would know the power of your love in a way that surpasses knowledge, like Paul says in Ephesians. God, let us receive from you as we sing this song what you want to give to us. And God, I thank you that you are filled with love and compassion for sinful, broken people. And God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.